Welcome to the Muse Chasers Podcast. My name is Mike Neal. Now, if you missed out on the prior episode, I sit back and I talk with Joe Castro, a super talented special effects and makeup artist. If you missed out on that, make sure you check it out. Now, on this week's episode, I sit down and talk with somebody I really didn't know much about. And honestly, hands down, this is my favorite interview I've done. And it's going to be really hard for, for me to beat this episode. I'm super proud of how it come out. I'm so proud to put my name on it. It, it honestly, I was kind of in a dark place before I did this interview. And the man that I spoke with within just a few minutes, he brought me up. He, he, he's a very special guy and it only takes a few minutes of him speaking for you to even figure that out. So hope you guys enjoy this episode and remember no matter what you do in life, you make time to chase your dreams and chase your muse. If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't have a job to find. And if I work tonight, if I'm so tired tonight, I'll fall asleep when I'm home, when I'm All right, guys, so this episode, on the other end of the line, I have publicist, actor, and writer, Tommy Lightfoot Garrett. How are you doing today, Tommy? Hey, Mike. How are you doing today? It's great hearing from you. Oh, man, I'm glad you decided to do this with me. Uh, it was an easy decision. Well, thank you. Uh, you're you're a Virginia, Virginia native. You're, you're from where I'm at, but you're in L.A. Uh, do, do you mind talking about like uh growing up in charlottesville well it was um very easy going um I, I was a nerdy little kid who always loved to read and um i was in a neighborhood where i was really um one of the few children and you know i was the youngest and mm -hmm. so um, my nickname was Baby Tom because my father's name was Thomas. And so all the little old ladies and all the widows, they just sort of latched on to me. And, um, you know, they loved that I enjoyed reading and and I enjoyed movies and entertainment. And my godfather was Telly Savalas, who played Kojak in the TV series. So oh, wow. um, I always always knew what I wanted to do, even from a young person. But um, when you are in rural Virginia, and and certainly in the seventies and and early eighties, um, there you know you I had to dream. It had to be something that I really um, always wanted to do, and it's something I held on to and um, in my mind and in my heart, and that was my passion. I enjoyed um, learning, so I enjoyed school. And um, I, I just never forgot that. I, I, I think what you learn around a lot of elderly people, which is I grew up around a lot of elderly people, mm -hmm. the one thing you learn is, is patience. And so I, I, it drives me crazy. People expect to um, 
everything that they dream of to happen overnight. And that's not reality. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Some people strike lightning with lightning, but um, it, the truth is everything takes passion and it takes determination. So um, it, no matter what I was doing in Virginia, I always knew that where I belong was in, in Hollywood. And I luckily knew a lot of people. Um, I had wonderful mentors, Aaron Spelling, um, Bill Bell. Bill Bell created the two number one and number two soaps in, in the world and certainly in the U.S., The Young and the Restless and the Bold and the Beautiful. Oh, of course. Yeah, and of course. course, Aaron Spelling was literally God for primetime television. Um, Gunsmoke, um, The Guns of Will Sonnet, Fantasy Allen, Dynasty, um, T.J. Hooker um hotel you name it and so i had wonderful mentors in the summers i would go to la and um when the other kids were resting at home or or playing ball i would um spend summers in la and um on tv and movie sets and i just i knew that was what i wanted to do now i i i love the fact that you brought up that people don't work hard for stuff or they'd think that like, Oh, you, you have to work hard for that. Uh, uh, nowadays people are going to YouTube and they're, they're blowing up and, and just the internet because it exists now just, it, it seems like it's so much easier than it used to be. It doesn't last Mike. Um, the people that really, it, it blows up really quick. Um, they don't last. Um, uh, you look at a lot of the, well, I, I, it's like the reality TV stars. They become huge. Um, they always get in trouble. They always lose their careers. They mm -hmm. always end up on drugs or in, you know, not that that, you know, I'm not making fun of addiction at all. It's an illness, but they're lacking the basics because it just happens so quickly. Um, they didn't have, like with, you said, they didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to work because I still, when most people are asleep, I'm working. Um, and I have become established, but still, you, you really can't lose the passion for, for the patience of just hard work. And the thing in Hollywood is once you become successful, it's uh, it's it's you you're on a time clock then and unless you're willing to really continue to put in the work it's fleeting it's not going to last forever I, you know you look at someone as superbly talented as charlie sheen but because his father was a star and it came easy for him it sort of, you know, it all blew up. And, mm -hmm. and, and then you look at someone like George Clooney, who was born into Hollywood. His, his aunt was Rosemary Clooney. Her husband, Mel Farrer, um, was a huge um, film star of his time. And yet um, when he would go to Hollywood, um, come here to visit his aunt, Rosemary Clooney, who was an actress and very famous singer, um, you know, they had, he had chores <laughs> and, um, when, you know, he started acting, he had to pay his dues. She didn't, 
she didn't call up agents or or producers and and directors and say hire my nephew he's my nephew he had to do facts of life and some tv commercials brad pitt the very same thing and their careers are still going and you know through life you have ups and downs but whatever happens they're always back up again and and you know so i the dedication to it, it takes a lot of discipline. Betty Davis told me that many years ago that, you know, a lot of the um, child stars, especially because they lack um, the upbringing that all of us get from growing up as children and learning a discipline. Um, she says, if you don't stay disciplined in this business, it, it will destroy you. And you know, I've seen that happen over and over. It's devastating to see it happen. My heart was breaking when, you know, I was watching Lindsay Lohan, um, mm -hmm. just one thing after another. But I have a special um, place in my heart for her because a lot of people have no idea how tough it is for children in this business. And she and Justin Bieber, I, I generally have zero tolerance for, for um a lot of people, but I have a lot of tolerance and empathy for them because um, it, it's not a business for children, and yet they grew up in it and um, barely survived it. But, you know, people look at them as if they're spoiled little brats, and they're really not. They just lack things that the skills of life that you and I have because you you had to play with your siblings and your cousins and you had to yeah. go to school and and you weren't your family's breadwinner at, at 10 and 12 years old and that's a lot of pressure to put on on children so i always tell people um easy come easy go because if it comes easy it's going it, it's fleeting it, it will leave you whereas yeah. you know um clooney and pitt and sandra bullock and you know she's a virginia girl as well so oh, yeah. you know it's hard work but it's worth it if, if you have the passion and that's your desire it'll work out eventually now i remember it's funny you bring up clooney because i remember him having just a role on roseanne yes and, that's exactly and it was just a role it wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a regular role or contract it was just you know he was showing up and and you know doing what we call under five so yeah uh, exactly so, yeah, so that that makes sense to me now but with you saying all that and yeah uh, he somebody he asked his aunt to help him and she said oh no you have to do it just like me and everyone else or you won't appreciate it yeah, and I and I I I believe that to be true, and, I, and that's probably the reason he he was able to work his way up and, and be who he is now. And absolutely, he's at the top of you know you realize he's at the top of his game, but he's he stays there. You know, almost everyone is is a shooting star in this business, and and in two to five years, I mean, who are they? It's one of the things I, I respect so much about Tom Cruise. Um, if anyone has ever worked with him in this business, they'll tell you he is actually the most professional person. He is the most professional person I've ever, ever met. And um, he treats the janitor on the movie set like he's the king of England. Um, you know, there are so many people with big heads and, and they don't want to be bothered. And they, certainly by 
people who aren't um, also big stars like them. And he's mm-hmm. the opposite of that. And um, you look at someone like that, and he has remained at an A-lister for 25 years. That is just impossible to do. And yet he's done it. And it's because he's professional and he treats people, he treats everyone professionally that he works with and he treats everyone politely. And, and that's rare. And, and that, and George Clooney is the same way. And Brad Pitt is the same way. And Will Smith, um, Denzel Washington, Denzel Washington's from um, New York city, but his father um, wasn't originally from Virginia. And that's where a lot of his family. So, um, you know, you can just tell the ones that um, deserve to have the the fame and the, and the fortune and the success that they have because they appreciate it and they treat people right. Now, what we're we're talking about a bunch of other stuff that, but I I, I wanted to talk about you and so a, a question that popped up in my head like. Uh, quite a few minutes ago was when you were saying that when you were small, you were going to LA um, as a kid and learning how to do things. And what, what, who was in LA for you to be traveling back and forth from LA to Virginia? I was visiting Kelly Savalas, who was my godfather at the time. Okay. Um, and um, I was lucky because my parents wouldn't have allowed me to go and then later in life, um, later in my teen years, I had mentors like um, Barbara Stanwyck, who a lot of people remember from The Big Valley, but that came at the end of her career. She was a huge movie star before then. Um, I was friends with Loretta Young, um, mm-hmm. and um, I knew Betty Davis very well. So I had wonderful people that my parents could trust um, to send me to Hollywood to to spend summers with Jane Wyman was another one. Um, she was a um, two-time Oscar winner. She was Ronald Reagan's first wife. So, oh wow! Yeah, and she did Falcon Crest. If you ever get to see, um, I, I know that I know what that is, but I've never yeah. seen it. Uh, well, it's funny. Um, that was created by a Virginian, Earl Hamner. He had created the Waltons. And the Waltons, oh God, the Waltons. Uh, Waltons I love were a, I love were about his family. Um, he he grew up in Nelson County, in Virginia, and he created the show. He was John Boy, and that that's he was the bookworm, and he he was the eldest, and and um, so he created that show, and that was that had been a hugely popular show, and after he did the Waltons, he wanted to do the absolute opposite and he said i'm going to do a prime time soap and everybody's going to be rotten <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, the opposite of the waltons he you know you, that's what you do as a writer you never want to do the same thing everyone in hollywood wants you to recreate the same thing again you do the waltons they want you to do waltons too but as a writer and you have a creative desire to do different things and so um he decided to do that. So, yeah, yeah, I had a lot of wonderful people. Um, and my parents wouldn't have allowed me to go otherwise. Now, you actually went to uh, college in California, right? At UCLA, yes, in Los Angeles. And, uh, did you? What did you major in when you were there? Um, English and marketing. 
And I, did you know when you were doing that, like, did, I mean, obviously yeah. you knew you wanted to be in Hollywood. So well, when I you were doing already, this. Um, when I was a teenager, I was running fan clubs and I was being paid to um, answer celebrities fan mail. Um, so, yeah, I, I always knew. And, and going to college was just the backup of making sure that you had a degree um, because it, it, nothing lasts. <laughs> and and yeah. so you want to be prepared. But um, at this point, I'm OK. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't there thinking, oh, I want to do, you know, I want to go to work at a bank or I want to go to work at, a, at, you know, at Chrysler and be an executive. And that was never that was never in the picture. I always knew what I wanted to do when I was four and five years old. I knew I would um, sit in my room and. um I had a movie projector and I would watch these super eight movies and I would just do that for hours. And I, uh, my parents said, but you've seen that one before. And I thought, well, I want to see it again. Cause I always could find something different in the story or, or you know, and, mm -hmm. and it was silent. And then later as I got older, it was, it was, it was, um, you could get the sound, um, I was probably the first kid in 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 um, grade school who had a v had a VCR. It was a beta. That's how long ago it was back then. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I always knew. I, I think in this business you have to have a passion for it because if you don't, um, you won't make it. And if you make it, you won't last. So you, it's something that you have have to have a passion for and it's something that I always had a passion for when I was in you know second and third grade I knew that's what I was going to be in the entertainment business which is, I mean that's it's rare for somebody that young to be like I'm it going is. to do this and then uh to be where you're at now and still be doing it yeah it is it, it is, and um, but it is something that I, I was always lucky because I always um, I had parents who encouraged me. You now I was in Booneyville. Um, there were no people. Lo and now, um, you know, all of Virginia is just filled with filmmakers and and actors and a lot of you know Hollywood people um, own homes in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so, but when I was growing up, there was no one. There were farmers, there were woodcutters, there were contractors and welders and bricklayers and um, utility workers. They, you know, they, I had absolutely no one locally um, that I felt was a, could mentor me in that way in the entertainment business because there were there were no people doing it. Um, um, in the 10th grade, um, a television station in, 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 um, Richmond, um, channel 35, it is, um, Fox now, but it was an independent station. Mm. And in the 10th grade, they went on air. And I remember, um, they had a, a Q94 Thriller Theater. It was a, it was a midnight show on Saturday nights, and um, they would show up uh, uh, um, 
they were showing a horror film at midnight yeah. and the the guy was hosting um his first name was jeff i can't believe i forgot his name but anyway i was in the 10th grade and um i you know won a chance to co-host with him and it was rosemary's baby oh and my I knew, god yeah I all knew, movies rosemary's baby Mia, and i knew mia farrell so i i was a shoe in for that but i went back I went back to school after filming that and I never mentioned it to kids. I went to, um, you know, 10th, 11th and 12th grade in high school. And they just, I didn't say anything. Some of them found out by watching or, or seeing me, but I, I, you know, it was not something that I made a big deal of. Um, weird to say, but even then I knew, well, this isn't the biggest deal that I'll do in my life. So <laughs> I just never really thought to run back to school and say, oh, tonight, make sure this weekend you see me on, on, on television. So I always knew. And, and the, the, the horror film host is kind of a, a, a thing of the past now. It, I know it, that it's was a shame. Yeah, it was such a huge thing back in the it day. It was a huge thing when I was a kid. Before you were, when you were not even born, probably. <laughs> but they had, um, oh gosh, they had this this local thing called Bowman Body. I mean, he 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 used to get out of a casket and, and have a horror. It was just the most campy thing you'd ever seen in your life. But that was big um, in in um, small town America to have a um, TV host every every Saturday um, host TV old old movies and all. I've done that before as well. So I I just you know it, it's something I um, always had a passion for every aspect of it. Um, the acting just sort of happened. I was really not. Um, looking for that and or asking for that because the life of an actor is oh my god it's like nothing you've ever you can't imagine it it's really tough um but when the opportunities came around i certainly took a leap at them now now what is some of the stuff that you've acted in i've starred in um two feature films um queen of the lot is about a um an actress who has her Lindsay Lohan um, style meltdown um, and I played a re- <laughs> typecasting but I played a reporter in that <laughs> and then the M word was a feature film that I did about a decade ago um, where I was stuck in an office with about 40 men- plus menopausal women thus the M word menopause and so, and um, I starred on As the World Turns in a couple of episodes, and um, that show was on for fifty-seven years. So, um, is I've it is it that. off now? Yeah, it's off now. Okay. Um, um, yeah, they canceled As the World Turns. Guiding Light, also a soap opera on CBS. Um, along with as the world turns they cancel guiding light had started on the radio it was it had been on radio and television over 80 years so um now the only two soaps on cbs are of course y&r and bnb but um i did that and i've co-hosted a tv show 
um, featuring old movies and and had celebrity guests on the shows. And so, um, but those are the things I've done on camera, um, behind the camera, behind the camera, I've done um, mo- mainly um, public relations. I've worked with some of the biggest um, shows and, and films in it, you know, that I've ever done. So um, it's it's been an interesting ride, I'd say. Never boring. Uh, I I guess, and I didn't think about this till just now. I guess soap operas are kind of a thing of the past too. Yes and no. Um, I, I say yes because when I was, when your mother was growing up, your parents, um, there were three or four, four on on all three at that point it was only three it was no fox but it was cbs nbc and abc all had four soaps each and they were hugely popular mm-hmm. um and people would have no clue out in 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 the country what killed soap operas do you have do you know what kills soap operas as as we know it the ones that exist are huge um, they're bigger overseas now, but what killed soaps was the O.J. Simpson murder trial because the networks decided to air O.J.'s trial. And in doing so, the soap audiences found out about cable TV in that hour. And so once they stopped watching the soaps for two months, they went back. They didn't go back. It was devastating. So, I I never knew that. That's what ha- that's what killed it. All the networks thought were running after ratings, and it was the biggest story of its time, mid nineteen nineties. Yeah, and the soap opera executives and producers and actors begged the networks, CBS, NBC, and ABC. They said, "Listen, people can watch that on CNN." They they don't need to and and they'll they'll see it on clips of it on the news, and um, no the the networks decided oh no this is cheap and easy and and yeah they really they really screwed up soap operas that way so the networks hurt them themselves by um, the O.J. Simpson trial that was when the beginning of the end because um, after that. Young and the Restless, which is the most watched soap in uh, number one daytime soap, a daytime show, um, mm-hmm. rather, for over 35 years. But it went from um, 28 to 30 million viewers per day to 12 million. And now on a good, you know, it's still number one, but it's number one with like 2 million viewers. I mean, it went from 30 million viewers a day to two million and um you know it's still the top thing on daytime television on the networks but you know when people started they couldn't get their soaps they started watching the cable cooking shows and the cable talk shows and movies and turner classic movies and they just never they the bigger audience never went back and i and i could be wrong saying this and I'm sure you could correct me if I if I am, but I I believe like maybe 30 years ago, um, the the where women were 30 years ago opposed to like where they are now, I think there was a lot more women at home 
And I, well, that's yes, that that had a lot to do with it. Yes, it did. And um, I mean, just women, but women aren't saying about it. Now. They don't DVR it, and yet they could. That's very they, true. They've literally moved on. When they didn't see it for two months, they literally said, you know what? Because now they could DVR it and watch it. They DVR other things. So, you know, Very but that true. did. That, that, that is true because um, those soaps were family affairs. Mothers, um, you know, I had neighbors that you could visit them. They were in their 80s and 90s, little old ladies. And, you know, visit them. But you have to sit and sit and sit down and be quiet when all my children came on or, or mm-hmm. something. So, yeah, that that really yeah, things changed. You know, um, women went to work. Um, they found other, you know, 30, 40, 40 years ago, women didn't drive where you and I grew up. So, you know, yeah, that, you're exa- so, I, you when, know, they, when I was eight know, years old, I had to uh pump gas for my grandma because she did not know how to do it my grandmother didn't even drive so you know i had to take you know she couldn't wait till i got my driver's license so i could take her on errands and she didn't have to bother her 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 other adult children or or pay a neighbor so yeah it's very different now so yes you are right it's and at at the same time i i'll would like to believe and i could i could be wrong about this too i think that that storytelling has in in my opinion uh when it comes to television and it comes to all these streaming services and everything i think storytelling has went to a whole new high and when you have you're, like you're shows exactly like exactly right it, when you have shows like the walking dead where that might would just appeal to males it it's Almost like a soap opera in the it end is, of it's it. It's addictive as a soap opera yeah. to, to the audience. Um, I work, worked with um, Game of Thrones the entire eight seasons, and I oh, have to wow. say that I saw things that I literally – um, HBO accomplished things that movies don't accomplish. Um, the Walking Dead, AMC accomplishes things weekly – that films on the big screen couldn't accomplish. It's television is literally, and you have to realize that um, when before you and I were even born, when they started television, actors said, "Oh no, never ever." I mean, that was frowned upon when um, Lucille Ball, who became the biggest comedian and biggest actress in TV history. You know, I love Lucy, all of those. She literally went to television because she had been an MGM glamour girl. But she was there with Joan Crawford and Norma Shearer and and um, Marlena Dietrich and Greta Garbo. Um, she was nobody at, at the studios. And so when television came, she said, I'm going to try that because the studio didn't know what movies to put me in. And people looked down on her and, they, you know, there were actors and actresses that would, they retired when the movies were, when their movie careers were over. They never looked at television. They would all be stunned 70 years later what television has done. You think about um, 
Jennifer Aniston and and um, who I've known my entire life and Reese Witherspoon, they have a new show that starts tonight, as a matter of fact, on um, Apple TV called um, The Morning Show. Mm-hmm. They have already completed two seasons of that at $300 million per season. Wow. Uh, it's just, you know, Game of Thrones, we had um, literally the last three years, a billion dollar budget for 10 episodes each season. Um, television is no longer the, 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 the medium that everyone looks at and says, oh, maybe, maybe. I mean, television, Julia Roberts did um, Netflix, you know, acclaimed um, Mary J. Blige has done um, Netflix. Um, you know, I worked with um, Big Little Lies. I mean, they had Laura Dern, a film, a movie star, mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon, a movie star, um, Nicole Kidman, a movie star. They were the three leads of an HBO show. Forty years ago, film actresses would have never, <laughs> never considered doing um cable or network tv that's all changed now and you're exactly right it, it has really put it at a level of it's spectacular now i mean no one even thinks a second time anymore if they get a if they get an offer for a tv show um it, it's just you know they just want to know that it's a good tv show um aaron um aaron spelling did that with um all of his shows in the 1980s, David Lynch with Twin Peaks. Um, but that show I worked with, that was the first official show that I was paid to work with. Twin Peaks. Um, Twin Peaks. Oh, and it was, a, it, was, it was a nightmare because this man, he's a genius. Yes, and, he is. And ABC with Monday morning, they just could not believe the sense he drove the censors crazy with his storytelling, <laughs> but there would be no Walking Dead or go, um, Game of Thrones without exactly. um, Twin Peaks. Exactly. Um, and that was 1989. And it, do you know what's really fun about Twin Peaks? When people watch it today, I tell some people your age to watch it today, and they are blown away. You know, you tell you tell someone to watch Dallas or or dynasty that's so dated that was the era i grew up in but that mm-hmm. was you could you know no one wants to see that lavish wealth anymore you know people are you know wearing this oh gosh wearing this i hate rich people phase i i'll be so glad when that is worn the country goes through these phases <laughs> i'll be so glad when that phase is over that's wearing me out but um um, th- back, you couldn't have shows like that anymore. You couldn't have the cat fights because you'd have the Me Too era of saying we don't want to see two women fighting, fist fighting, and pulling. That's that's sexist. You know, it's, all of this stuff couldn't happen <laughs> anymore. Um, but there would never. I tell people to watch Twin Peaks. And they're just blown away. I know the type of people that would enjoy that show, the people that watch The Walking Dead or or Game of Thrones or shows like that. And I say, watch Twin Peaks. And they go, I never heard of it. You know, kids in high school and and college have interns in the office. And I'll say, we watch Twin Peaks. And they'll watch and they're just 
blown away. They come back Monday and say they watch all three seasons, you know, the two ABC yeah, seasons and... as well as the Showtime um, third season. So it's it's interesting because people like you that in that enjoy shows like that are the creative people because you get it that David Lynch was before his time and he oh, was God, always yes. always on the edge. His movies and, and, and like everything. you said, I I come in. I didn't watch it was when it was on. I come in. And no, you were it a kid. You, that's yeah, right. You exactly. were a kid. I was in high school, so I was out of high school. I take that back. I was at UCLA when that came on. So you know, I'd been out of high school. And, I was and there and, and there's a lot, and that is just. There's so many. There's a lot of great shows that you can go back and try to watch, and they don't age well. But Twin Peaks, well, you know, did. you couldn't watch the westerns today. The you know the, the 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 terminology would blow people's mind. You know things that we, you know, that our fathers watched, and that was just the era. That's the way people spoke to people. You couldn't do that. Um, I love Gone with the Wind, but that's not something that a lot of people could watch today. I mean, well, I, I'll tell you, I, I've never been able to watch Citizen Kane, and <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I have to tell you the story of Citizen Kane. Um, I didn't like it as a child. I loved it when I realized the the, the story behind it, and and um, but anyhow, um, Orson Welles when he made that film, that film is considered today to be a the classic of classics. It's considered to be the best film ever made. When it was made, it was buried. Um, no studio would touch it, and the movie theaters wouldn't wouldn't air it. And it was because he wrote that story about a man he hated, but the man was the most powerful man in the world, his name in the world, in the country, forgive me, not the world. He was William Randolph Hearst. The, the current antitrust laws that you hear about today with the federal antitrust laws, when AT&T wanted to buy CNN and whatever, yeah. and they had to get permission, he's the reason that anti, federal antitrust laws exist. You've probably heard of his granddaughter. Her name is Patty Hearst. She was kidnapped in the 1970s, mm -hmm. um, but that's his granddaughter. Chris Hardwick is married to um, her daughter. Uh, wow. Yeah, but uh, William Randolph Hearst was the most powerful man in the country from the late 1880s till the, um, the 19, I'd say about 1955 or early 50s mm -hmm. you couldn't become you couldn't get elected to the presidency unless he endorsed you in one of his newspapers he owned 95 percent of the nation's largest newspaper so when 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 orson wells wrote citizen kane about him he hated it he was furious so he his newspapers you know panned the film before it came out and everyone in Hollywood was afraid to air it or produce it because if they had stuck their neck out and, and had produced and, and released it, if any of the major studios had agreed to release it, he would have had his, his um, reviewers write negative reviews about every single film that that studio would ever produce in the future until the studio was literally bankrupt. That's how much power he had. 
That is crazy. And so, um, yeah, Citizen Kane was one when I was a young child. I was like, I don't get this. I think 10 minutes of it, I thought, what is this? This is just too boring. But, you know, now I realize who it's about. <laughs> and I, well, I'm going so re- to have, have to go back and try to rewatch it now. Yeah, like now this. you should watch it yeah. as an adult. And and the pa- the the mansion that is um that is featured in it it's a dead ringer for um, William Randolph's Hearst San Francisco um, Northern California Bay Area mansion um, which is just it's a it's a museum now it's a tourist um, venue but yeah yeah he was so powerful um, literally if he said you shouldn't be president you wouldn't win. And um, if he said your movie was the best, I mean, you have to realize that this was an era before television mainly, and it was an era newspapers were in, were everything. And so if his review was in, people used to read the newspaper. People read the internet now. No one reads a newspaper. Newspapers rarely exist now. But it was, mm-hmm. a, it was an era of innocence. The country... It was a different era in the country, so um, he could get away with it. He could. Now, t- sitting here talking to you, like just because it, it it slips my mind, but like sitting here, I'm like, oh my god, you you have so much knowledge about all this stuff. You should write a book, but you already have. I've written six books. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, can you can you tell me a little bit about your books that you've wrote? Uh, well, um, four are nonfiction, and they're uh, celebrity-based books. Um, and all the photos, the thousands of photos in, in them, they're all mine um, because I knew so many classic and worked with so many classic era stars. But um, my first book was on my dear friend Joan Fontaine. Joan Fontaine was a huge star. She's... Um, the sister of Olivia de Havilland. Her sister, Olivia de Havilland, is the last surviving star of Gone with the Wind. She played Melanie. She's 103 years old. She lives in Paris. But um, that was my first book. It was about Joan's childhood and her hatred of her sister. She and her sister, Olivia, they didn't speak for 40 years, over 40 years. Um, And then my second book is a compilation of about 40 stars that I've known from Charlton Heston to Elizabeth Taylor to Jude Law, you name it. Um, And uh, so I've written four celebrity-based books, and they're basically classic stars. Um, And then my um, latest two books, um, Cosmic's Cosmic's Adventures, um, they're um, fictional, and they're about uh, an elderly man who's homeless, and he manages to have supernatural things happen to him that are all alien related. So, um, yeah, I wanted to do that. And um, that's something I'm thinking about doing a screenplay about one day. But um, they're mind bending. Um, as I said, he's just an elderly homeless man and he manages to, you know, get lost in the woods and he and he meets um whole civilizations of people that people uh, that no one knew existed and they're all alien based so and they're set in um the, the his story is set in um the desert west of 
Utah and New Mexico. So um, that's what I, yeah, I've done that. Um, there are some um, celebrities that I uh, have been, <laughs> people have begged me to write about mm-hmm. over the years because um, basically as a Hollywood publicist, there's nothing that you don't learn. So um, whether it's a current star or the old old stars of yesteryear, there are very few stories that are um, things that happen. I had a client, Anna Lee, um, who um, was the wheelchair-bound Lila Quartermain on on General Hospital, but she was a star from, she came here um, with Alfred Hitchcock and his wife and her then-husband, who was a producer, and um, from England in 1939. Um, Of course, she did the soap that she's most known for, but she did a lot of John Ford films. I've worked with a lot of lot of actors, and she told me all of these people have told me stories that um, I haven't written yet, but um, dozens. I worked with Clint Walker, who played the Western star Cheyenne Bodie um, um, in the 1950s. Um, my client Tab Hunter was literally the biggest star at Warner Brothers in the mid 1950s, and mm-hmm. um, so I've worked with a lot of people over the years at the end of a lot of their careers and and um so it's been interesting i enjoy i i have to say i enjoy book writing um, a lot of people have writer's block but not me i just do it i can sit down on, on a weekend and finish a book if i want to well uh, now uh one question i have is when obviously telling somebody's story it's completely different than telling a story. Correct. So, so what is, what, how is, how do you go about that transitioning from telling somebody's story to actually telling a story that you've come up with? The, the trick is um, when you're telling a story verbally, you're telling someone, um, you're literally unconsciously paying attention to their reaction to whether they want to hear the story, to whether they like the story, and you're changing it as you go according to whoever you're having a conversation with. How you converse with me is not how you would converse with the meter reader who comes to fix your meter. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing a story, it's in your head, and you're your own critic. So you're, you, it's easier for me. It's harder for some people, but it's easier for me that way because I can block out um, what I think someone wants to happen in the story. And I lose that when you lose that ability to care or to if you're writing a story, you can't say to yourself, I wonder if Tommy's going to like this when you when you and I do this this podcast your interest is that you hope i enjoy this is that correct that is uh that that is most definitely one of them but Um, that's not when you're writing that's the last thing that you're thinking about and so it's more creative that way your mind flows and um it's to me it's it's more fun because you just do it 
and the critique doesn't come for ye- for months until until it's finally published, and then a lot of writers worry about, oh my God, I got a bad Amazon review. I don't worry about things like that. Um, but yeah, when you're writing a story, it's in your head. When you're telling a story, it's coming from your heart. It's coming from your knowledge of it. Whereas when you're writing it, it's not about your knowledge. It's about, you know, what do I believe? Yeah, I, 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 I could, I could understand that. I can. Yeah, well, like you know, my my creative outlet is is, is what I'm doing now with with podcasting, and it, which it, I admire because that means you're a people person, and that's important. Because um, I'm not a people person, and yet I have to work with people all the time, and so I, that's good. That actually is healthier, believe it or not. You 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 um you be healthier and happier because you enjoy. The people that you meet, you rarely meet people that you think, oh, I don't like that person. You really, you give almost anyone a chance because that's what you have to do on a podcast. You have to be open-minded. That's a good thing. You should embrace that. And I, and I try to. I and uh, it, and most of what you just said was true, but at the same time, there's like um, when. When I do a podcast, uh, I, I do it with people that I know that I'm going to have the interest in. You know, now going out into the world, I try to keep that. It just like you just said, I, I try to keep that same mind frame. Correct. And, and, and but it's not as easy. You know, you it's kind you can control it a little bit better on podcasting. But yeah, I, what you said ex- is exactly true. It is. And uh, it, it's, um, I I I like to think of podcasting as a creative outlet, and I like to think of myself as a podcaster. But I I do, and I, I'm not trying to like make this about me at the moment. But I do have like this imposter syndrome to where I'm like, I'm not. I don't really feel like I'm a podcaster. I'm just a guy doing a podcast. Well, you should get over that. Because you are a podcaster. Remember this in life. You have to believe in yourself and you have to be who you say you want to be. Because if you don't, then you, Marlon Brando once said, anyone can be a con man, but the first person you have to fool is yourself. And that sounds kind of crazy, but it really isn't because in order, when I was a kid, when I was eight years old, I knew I was going to be in entertainment. I knew I would do hosting. I never really dreamed of acting, but I thought I'll be on a soap opera. I remember watching soap saying, I'll be on a soap opera. Um, you really can make the mind over matter. It really, it really is true. So when you start feeling insecure, you start feeling a little doubt, um, and that's natural. Get rid of it as quick as you can. Just dismiss it out out of hand. Because I have to tell you, I work with a lot of people, and you're not an imposter or a troll. You are a podcaster. I've felt more comfortable with you than 90% of the people I've interviewed with. 
and well, I've been interviewing thank you. That, for that, years. That that makes me feel good about me. Yeah. Uh, it it really does. Uh, um, I Tommy, I could keep you on here all night long, and I know that you could continue telling me stuff all night long. But I, I, I'm going to finish. I, I, I want to go ahead and end this, and I'm, I'm hoping that you will come back on. I'll eventually. be happy to. Anytime uh, you want, just let me know. And I, I have just a, a few more questions I'm going to ask, and the you know I'll let you go. Um, I've seen that you – do you do some work with the USO? I do. I do. I um, After 9-11, I decided um, – that I would do USO work because it's just important. Um, our soldiers are always forgotten. They're forgotten by the, the government that sends them there. And Americans are just wiped out. You know, we've had literally 20 years of war. And people forget there are people away from their families. Um, so, yeah, I write um, at least a soldier every single day and have since um, the soldiers went to Afghanistan in December of 2001. And um, I send care packages. I send at least one care package a week. I write a letter every single day to a soldier. And um, I always remember holidays and birthdays and um, at Christmas, I remember their families. So, yeah, that's important to me. It just, I don't, I didn't do it because, you know, there was a um, reason for it. I did it because, you know, as much as I've been blessed um, and the fact that I can say what I want and think what I want and, you know, that freedom isn't free. People pay a price for it. And even yep. if someone isn't giving their life, they're giving their their life not literally, but they're away from their families. And, and so I, I just think it's important to re always remember the truth. So, yeah, I do that every day. Do something for the USO at least um, every day and every weekend. And uh, which is amazing. I don't think a lot of people do that. And I, I think a lot of people that's in uh, your business, I think that, well, in my opinion, people look down on Hollywood and look at people that's in Hollywood like, you should do this. Or, you know, you, you're you in there and you're doing this. You're being famous because you're on TV or, or you're telling stories and then you should help people out. And I, I, which I could be wrong, you know, but I really believe that people look down on people in Hollywood thinking that they should do something. When in all actuality, it's a job. They're doing it a is, job. It and is a job. It, 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 nobody's ever going to look at you going to a convenience store or to a grocery store saying, you know what, you got a job and you should do something for people because you have a job. So I, I for you to be doing that, I think it's amazing. Thank you. And, Thank and, you. Um, the other thing that I've seen about you is that I, I guess you have this thing with exotic chickens. I do. When I was a kid, I always loved chickens. Um, my grandmother raised them, and so did I. She got me involved with them. And then um, when I became an adult and I moved to Hollywood and, you know, I didn't have 
the time or or the space to raise a lot of chickens. Mm-hmm. And um, Prince Rainier of Monaco um, was a friend of mine, and he sent me some silkies. Um, and they're um, Japanese. They're from Japan, although China claims that they're they originated there. They actually originated in Japan um, and in certain parts of India. And so um, I've kept them over the years. I have a few that are teenagers. So, <laughs> wow. so yeah, I don't eat them. I don't even eat the eggs. But yeah, I, I love birds. I love all birds and raising chickens is a calming effect um, in in this very, very stressful world that I live in and and work in. So yeah, it's a very calming effect because no matter what, all they want, they're always happy. (laughs) So they're like a dog. They're always happy. Well, uh, Tommy, I am going to say this and I hope that um, you believe me when I say it, but I sincerely um, I, I, I'm so glad that you come on here and this is honestly one of my favorite interviews I've done. Um, you, you've been amazing and I, and I hope you'll come back on anytime. I'll be glad to Virginians stick together. Yes, most definitely. We have to. Yes, we do. <laughs> cause, um, uh, cause like, like before we started the show, we were talking about, uh, are you, you said kind of like. If if you're not from Virginia, you don't really get it. No, it's really weird. Um, And you realize that's something that didn't just start with my generation or your generation. You realize that's something that started way back. You know, the founding fathers, the ones that were from Virginia, really felt that they were special. Thomas Jefferson and George Washington felt very different, very special. Um, It's say Benjamin Franklin that was from Pennsylvania. You know, the, it's just something about um Virginians that we 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 stick together, we're very loyal um and um we like history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, certain things we love horses, we love animals. It's weird and and you know, Virginia has a lot of um people who move there because of um mainly because of the Norfolk naval base being the largest um, naval largest military base in the world, but people come from all over the country, move to Virginia, but it's weird because you can always tell who was born in Virginia has nothing. It's weird. You just know, you just know that person's a Virginian. Oh, that person's an implant. It's just like, we used to have that same, you know, that conversation when I was there growing up. Hey, you're exactly right. Um, the, the, where where I work at, we actually had a uh, a guy come in that he uh, he he lives in a little town that's about an hour and twenty minutes from where we're actually working at, and I it it, it it's a town that I'm actually uh, very um, involved in, and I know it like my whole life. And when he come in to the workplace, a lot of people were kind of like they didn't really know how to take him at times and he was kind of <laughs> different but but to me he he was exactly what you're you, what you're talking about he, he was just kind of this country guy yeah and, and very welcoming 
and very and to people nowadays it's different when you see get, people like that what it's really i think what made me stand out in hollywood is that everyone said that that you're just so polite and you're so nice and that is rare <laughs> and it's and, becoming and, 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 and that's like exactly what you're saying like he just has this thing to where he cares where people almost don't even care anymore. Correct. Well, people are so busy and they're into themselves. And Virginians aren't like that. We're, we're always thinking about someone else. What can I do to help someone else? And that's how we were raised. Um, I always tell people, if you want to know what Virginia was really like, um, watch Andy Griffith. Oh, God. Even though that's North Carolina, that's North Carolina on the Virginia border. And, yep. and I always tell people, if you ever, you know, rural Virginia or small communities, even small towns, that, you know, not just the tiny towns like you and I grew up, but um, small towns, I would tell people, if you want to know, because, um, you know, the Waltons, yes, but that they were a distinct family. But if you want to know what the majority of Virginians, real Virginians are like, watch Andy Griffith. That's, you know, we we know our Barneys, we know our Opies, we know our Andys, and we all had an Aunt B or two or three in the family. Yep. So, you know, I always tell people that. And, I, and I'll tell you, and, I, and I'm sure you can, uh, you probably say the exact same thing, but you know, even the, the there's an age difference between me and you. Andy Griffin was part of my family. Absolutely, and, and That's everyone exactly right. on that show was part exact, of my family. And exactly it, it is right. weird. I, I I'm sure it's weird for people to hear that nowadays. They don't get it. They don't get it. They, they but won't. I do. They will not get it. But that was and part of my family. And it's weird because. And we're proud of every single one of them. That's yes. the thing. You know, if Barney was somebody's uncle in New Jersey, they wouldn't claim him. If, you know, if Andy was if someone's um, um, father in, in Missouri, they would go, oh, no, not. He's not really like that. But that's not us. No, no. It, every member, every single person there was a part of my family, too. Yeah, it, it, it's. Um, it's hard to explain. It really it is. is. It is. It's it very is. hard to explain. But like, I I just kind of want to end it on the Andy Griffin thing. I, look, I still have <laughs> I, I I still have the newspaper where he passed away. Um, yeah. I he was a wonderful human being. He was a wonderful man. I'm gonna tell you what the 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 day that Andy Griffin died, and the day that Prince died was probably two of the hardest days for me to have somebody that died that I didn't actually know, but connected to in ways that I really can't explain. Well, I got to know him, so I have to tell you, he was a very special man. And Ron Howard is just, just wonderful. He's one of my neighbors. He's just a wonderful, wonderful person. I, I just can't say enough positive things and, uh, about him. What is uh Ron's brother's name? Whose brother? Uh, Ron Howard's brother. Oh gosh, oh, I can't think of his. I name. can't remember his I, name, but I, I think can't. I think he has a project going on now, 
that they're uh, always busy. They're always. Well, always. well I, I think he has a project going on now that's supposed to kind of go back to like the 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 storytelling of what the Andy Griffin show did. And oh, from what I understand, boy. what what's supposed to happen is is this like big uh, musician comes into a small town. And he gets arrested for some reason. And he's been made to stay in the small town for the weekend for a music festival. <laughs> and I think that Ron Howard's uh, brother is like really involved with it. But it, it's something to check out. I will definitely look into that. And before we get out of here... Uh, do you what? Do you have anything going on right now, like that people can check into, or? Uh... Well, me personally, I am currently, as I said, I'm I'm doing a screenplay on my cosmic cosmic adventures, um, and I am editor of a website, highlighthollywood.com, dot com, mm-hmm. which we cover all the news, world news. Um, and everything entertainment. So if anyone is is um, interested in what's going on in Hollywood and around the world, um, Highlight Hollywood is is the website that I work with. But um, I work with several um, studios, and I, as a publicist, I promote films and TV shows. So I have to say, um, one of the shows I'll I'll be promoting. One of the shows, one of the movies I'll be promoting is one I hope you'll go to see. It comes out on um, on November eighth, and it's Doctor Sleep. So be sure oh, you God, go see geez. that. Oh my God! And I work with. Um, uh, I don't even think you have to really try to promote that. I hope people just pour out to see that one. It's going. They better go see it. It's excellent. And if um, if anyone has HBO, I'll, I'm working with. Is dark material, so that starts November fourth, which is I guess Monday, isn't it? Um, but um, so that and Watchmen, all the big HBO shows I work with, all the big Warner Brothers mm-hmm. film and Disney, I help promote. So lo- lots of exciting things going on. And I I I I I I, I, I keep feeling like I want to keep asking you questions. Um, Game of Thrones. You said you were involved with that. Yeah. Um. It, it's when you were talking about it, I I didn't get to actually say this, but I seen somebody talking about Game of Thrones and talking about how it was one of the most amazing things that's happened just to, um, the honestly the world because it brought people together to watch a TV show. I don't think there'll the ever time. be a show like that. Um Walking Dead is close but not not near. Um Game of Thrones is the num- was the number one show in the world. It was an experience that everyone felt connected to. Um I have to say it changed my life 10 years. It, it's just I've never had any experience like it um if i was at the airport if i'm at you know a meeting um here in hollywood wherever i am someone Mm -hmm. has a question about that show 
Yeah, it's it's just it was an incredible experience. Um, there is a prequel being that's going to be done, and it's going to be set 300 years before the story that was currently airing, and it's about the Targaryens and their civil war um, because the Dragon Queen's ancestors fought each other to gain power, yeah. and all of the Targaryens didn't have the craft, the skill, and the um, ability that she had to ride the dragons. You know, a lot of the Targaryens were killed by dragons. They weren't all just automatically, <laughs> you know, uh, had that connection with dragons. Yeah. So it's 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 we're really excited about it. So if if you love Game of Thrones in in um, twenty twenty some late 2020 you'll have the pilot um house of dragons so okay well uh i i'm excited about it um a lot of people didn't like the way that game of thrones ended and uh, that was i'm gonna have to ask you about that that was bound to happen that was something everybody that didn't you know i think we were stunned by the visceral reaction by some people, but um, it was bound to happen. People didn't want the show to end. They wanted more episodes. It w- if it had been more episodes, they would have still... Um, it was controversial, but um, the fact that it received the most Emmy nominations um, of any show in history this year and has won more Emmys than any TV show ever in history in, in, in the entire history of television speaks volumes um i just literally it never bothered me because um i always understood that there were going to be people that were not going to be happy with the deaths that existed always um they were not going to be happy with who you know most people were happy um but it's a loud majority that was, I'm sorry, a loud minority that was unhappy and they let it be known. I still get comments yeah. on any posts that I do um, about the show today, but yeah, that was just not going to be, I, I, I prepared myself um, two years ago for, for the ending, knowing what would happen and saying, Oh, this is going to be controversial. So you know, no matter how it ended, they were going to be, people were going to be unhappy. It, I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you from being a fan from it. Uh, I had no problem with it. The, the way the story was told and how it ended. The only problem I really had with it was that it just felt like it was kind of crammed together. Yes. I a lot. I I I have to tell you, there are people on the production. There are actors as well as a couple producers who complain. They just felt that David and Dan were rushing the the final season. They didn't mind like you what you know how who came out on top, who didn't survive. They they understood that's Game of Thrones. People are you're going to have shocking deaths or whatever. But they, they a lot of a lot of people felt that. I would say the majority of viewers felt. That you know, they just felt it was rushed. The final, yeah, it um, it just feels like it was such a good story, 
and there was so much there to tell, and it was just kind of just cram-packed, and it, it feels like it could have been at, at bare minimum two or three more episodes than it was. Most people feel that way, so that And then I was Team Cersei, so I, I think she should have come out on top, but I mean... Me too, that's funny, I can admit that now. Yeah, and was, and yeah. I I got a lot of grief from people. I'm like, man, Cersei. Oh, they she, hate her. Man, they hate her. Man, and she, she had, was she, she was, was the, the smartest. smartest. She was the smartest one. She was actually so yes. brilliant. She outsmarted everyone. It took it took a dragon to bring her down. I yes. mean, a dragon could bring you or me down. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, she outlasted everybody. Yes, and I mean, and, it, it it just didn't didn't make sense to me for her not to come out on top. Yeah, but we knew Danny was going to snap. I think everyone knew Daenerys had to, oh, had yes. to break. I mean, she was always on the edge. She was always high strung, but Cersei was cool and calm as a cucumber, as they say. She's just very sure of herself yeah she was my favorite character i don't uh, you're the first person i admit that to <laughs> and the actress is just lena is just a wonderful person to work with i i really feel like part of my family they're all gone now everyone's gone their own oh, way that uh I, oh my god i'm trying not to keep you so long but how, i mean how does that feel when you're working on a show like that and then it ends well you know it's funny because everyone thought in the beginning, oh, this is all these characters and all these names and the dragons and the incest and, oh, okay, this is going to be a few, a couple years maybe. Um, and then after season two, it just went out of the world and you couldn't go anywhere, anywhere. It was just everywhere, everywhere. And um, I will say the last five years, which would have been the last three seasons, because if you remember, a couple seasons took a year, and and it was almost two years for the final season yeah. to be filmed. But um, the last five years, it, it was like an experience that you just couldn't. I can't even imagine anything ever coming close to it ever. It, it's just it, it was incredible, and the fans were just wonderful, and that's why a lot of you know, I understood a lot of the angst and, the, um, you know, but I, again, a lot of that was going to happen because these people were, lo fans were losing family, uh, people that they had just, you know, fallen in love with. It was horrible to, to lie for a year. And, and, you know, when Jon Snow was killed and knowing he was not, he was going to come back from the dead. And I just, we couldn't tell anyone it was that was that was the toughest thing because you know i knew people were literally almost having nervous breakdown they were just devastated how could they kill john snow and i said i know i know i couldn't tell him oh you know he's really not dead so that was difficult and then you know knowing that brandon would be the um, one who would uh ultimately be the ruler um you know, every I, it's so funny because the fans were all speculating that the Night King would definitely kill Brandon, and I thought, oh God, that's not going to happen. So, but it is. It, it's an experience. It was an it was a life experience. 
experience. It was not just a TV show. It was literally our lives. It was. It was a movie. It was. It was. It's nothing like it. There is absolutely nothing like it. And and now that we're sitting here talking about it, one of one of the most bold and risky things I think they could have ever done with that show was to kill Sean Bean's character off. Yeah, for that you, was big. For you to have that the, the big of a name of the and show. then kill him off like that? In nine, episode nine, yeah. first season. Yeah, final season, you could have understood it. It was the long, it was, you know, winter was here. But yeah, yeah, that was, that was ballsy. That was bold, and that was... And and I, I, I think that that was a lot probably, of us thought that's it. That a lot of people thought that. Yeah, it. I don't. I don't think this show's going to be around a couple seasons at yeah, this rate. I think that was like the pinnacle of it. I think that's probably what made that show. Yeah. It was at that time. It was like either this is going to make it or break it. And I think Absolutely. that's what really made that show. And that was Absolutely. what shot it off. Well, well it's funny because after that, the actors, not an actor for the next eight years, felt safe. Not one single actor. Not one after Sean Bean was killed off. Not one actor believed that you know every actor every season would get the script. They would all come in a package. You know, not not one a week, but the whole season. And every actor read it like it was a dictionary or the Bible. Like I have to know. I am I. No one thought they were safe. No one. I, poor, poor um, Jack Gleason, who played King Joffrey. He knew he was gone. He knew after being behind the beheading of Ned Stark, the most beloved and the biggest character on the. He said he knew his day was coming because <laughs> <laughs> the fans would demand it if he didn't get it. So, but everybody else was like, "Oh my God!" You know, I think um, Peter um, thought he was gone when. The, when the episode was uh, when the after he read the episode where um, um, Tyrion was slashed in the face with the sword, you know, and, yeah. and he was supposed to, you know, in the script, it's, he loses his nose and he's like, I'm not back for the next one. And then he read the script and he's like, wow, I survived and I'm here for the next season. He couldn't believe it. So, <laughs> and, and honestly, like with, with, with Peter, I, that's a, honestly one of the only characters I feel like there's no way they're going to do anything with him. Like really, that was, I, I, honestly, weird. I felt like he was the only one of the only people that was saved when I was watching that show, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because he's just such a great actor, but Sean Bean is too. I mean, but for some reason, I felt like Peter was was safe. Like I really didn't think anything would ever he happen to him. He didn't think so. <laughs> that's good because he didn't think so oh, and sure. i was unsure quite a few times <laughs> well tommy uh i think this is a great place to end this and i'm going to have to have you back because uh i said it before and it's only got better uh this is hands down probably uh my favorite interview i've ever done and i'm so uh, proud it didn't even feel like an interview i felt like i was just talking with a friend uh, well, we're Virginian. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And you know we're related. Everyone in Virginia is related. That's the other Everybody's thing. A cousin. You don't talk about Everybody's anybody you don't cousin. know because everybody in Virginia, if you go back far enough, 
we're all related. So yeah, it, it's it's something about that uh that 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 culture. It is. It is. It is. But Tommy, thank well, you so for so much for this. I, I appreciate you so much. I'll be on anytime you want, and I I will most definitely be in touch for sure. Please. All right, thank and you. And thank your audience for listening. Oh, most definitely will. Uh, it, I that that's right there where I'm going to end it. But uh, oh my God, you're amazing, dude. Thank you. You so are. Much, Mike. You are. Uh, and at any time you have anything going on, man, feel free to reach out to me, and we will figure out and do something, man. Because I, I would love that. Cause I, I swear it, 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 I love, I love talking to, uh, to Quan because he's from Virginia and I, uh, I really, really wanted the interview and I, I worked hard to get it and got it. And the, this one's 20 times better. I really thank that. you so much. Thank so, you. Uh, I'm gonna hop over here. I hate to do it. Cause I, uh, Look, I'm over here thinking like, man, me and this guy right here, we could do a a, a whole rewatch of the Andy Griffin show and commentary. <laughs> yes, <on> we could. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here thinking like, seriously, I might need to ask this guy if we need to do this. I don't know what kind of interest would be in it, but uh, we could totally do that. But yeah, anytime you have anything going on, man, let me know and I will. We most definitely, I want you back on. Thank so. you, Mike. All right, and we'll, we'll hopefully we'll talk to you soon, Tommy. And thank you so Very much soon. for doing this. I can see my life is crap. I have to see them too. I just live into my world.
hey, did you enjoy the music that you heard on this podcast? Well, it's by a band called Onlap, and they actually make royalty-free music. So if you wanted to use their music, too, you could, but don't do not do that. I mean, just go listen to it, because they're amazing. Only let me use it. But, I mean, if you wanted to, you could use it. So, go check them out. They're on Facebook and YouTube. Just look up Onlap, and go listen to some of their amazing music. They have more than just this one or two songs I use.